Hey, and thanks for signing up for the Public Alpha Podcast. Lee here on my uh, on my own, working from home. I am in the basement. I am in my work from home setup, which it used to be, uh, of course, the the broadcast center uh, in Tits of the Iceberg, Ice Palace 3.0. Uh, so many a podcast has been recorded right where I sit, usually with a few more bodies in attendance. Uh, but here we are to talk a little bit about video games. Reed has graciously provided us uh, another 15-minute clip, mostly talking about Persona 5 Royal uh, and his thoughts on that, which just came out on March 31st. Uh, I mostly have to talk about Animal Crossing, as even when I move to uh, play something else, uh, there's just there's quite a bit to do in Animal Crossing. And I've heard that that loop is upsetting some people. The crafting loop, uh, it's it's it feels unfounded to me, just because people are like, oh, I hate that. I have to craft all these things now. I have to unlock these things. I have to. Okay, I get it. You don't want to. You're not a time traveler. Uh, or a time lord in Animal Crossing, you do want to slow burn it to a certain extent, but doing something like finding 30 in- uh, uh, iron nuggets uh, and etc. to open the store, I've heard people complain about that in the crafting loop. Uh, keep in mind that like I compare everything to the original North American release of Animal Crossing being the GameCube one. Uh, a lot of the stuff that was in the 3DS one is here again. The crafting is really the new thing, and it's affording you all these new pieces of furniture and things you can have access to early in the game when normally uh when it comes to furniture you either uh running errands for other uh uh other animals and hoping you get something that you don't already have or hoping that the uh, that the nook store has something uh so this new new horizons game on switch is offering you uh just kind of like an endless loop of play so if you're playing this game in the middle of the night early in the morning if, if certain things aren't available in the game such as the store hours are limiting you uh, you you have something to do. There's so much to do. You can store things to sell in the morning. You can sell things overnight at a reduced value. You can find things for the museum that's open all the time. Villagers are moseying around. Uh, they just released this Easter thing, which I will talk about in a moment. Bunny day, sorry. Uh, but I really feel it's it's kind of odd to... Like, I get it. Your shovel breaks. I get it. Your, your axe breaks and you have to craft another one. Or you don't. You can play it like old Animal Crossing. Go to the Nook store and buy those things as they break. The fact that they break, if, if that's just a, a non-starter for you, listen, I get it. Uh, but that's where the crafting comes in. Craft something a little stronger, it'll last a little longer. Uh, you are rewarded for building things, do-it-yourself projects. There are constantly uh, nook miles to get, which, guess what? Unlock you further furniture. So it's a few seconds out of your time uh, to craft some tools here and there. But I, I feel like that's a really weak weak argument, uh, and the argument I've mostly heard this from uh, is one Jeff Gertzman from Giant Bomb, so I wanted like a counter-argument there to to this being like, hey man, consider what Animal Crossing was, you'd just be buying this stuff for bells anyways and limited based on the day you are playing. Now, if you keep playing, you will keep finding new recipes you will find a new table to make, etc uh, and I feel we're better off with New Horizons. Now, this new update 1.1.1 uh, and now, as of today, me recording this, Thursday, April the 2nd, uh, 1.1.2, uh, as they've, uh, I think, patched some aspects of the game. Uh, hopefully they reduce the amount of eggs you find. I don't know. This is a, There's an event going on. 
in order to stop people from changing the internal clock of the console and jumping backwards and forwards to do these holiday events as they see fit. They're all tied to updates now. So if you jump ahead to 2021 April to do this uh, event, you can't. It doesn't exist. If you try to jump to Halloween, there will be nothing. It's all uh, tied to updates, which I think is a very cool idea. Uh, the only thing is, much like Pocket Camp, it's kind of like an all-encompassing gameplay mechanic changing event. So there is someone in a zipper costume. Zipper, basically the Easter Bunny. There's uh, eggs in the water, in the sky, in balloons. There's uh, eggs in the trees, in the stones. There's eggs everywhere, and they're different kind of eggs, and they're crafting materials. You find uh, do-it-yourself projects for different uh, Bunny Day-related pieces of furniture and clothing. This event will be going on for 12 days. If you manage to craft everything, uh, then Zipper's going to have something cool for you. All the furniture looks kind of like ass. It is all just like party store decoration Easter stuff, uh, colored eggs and whatnot. In different shapes, beds, stools made out of eggs, um, balloons, that kind of thing. Not not the greatest. The outfits are bad. Uh, I always like in Pocket Camp personally to use the the seasonal stuff to kind of mix it up, to force myself to mix it up. Uh, in Pocket Camp right now, for example, they have a Sakura uh, furniture set and event going on that is far superior to what they're doing in New Horizons, 100%. Uh, so there's that, and hopefully some of that, that gear will come over to the other game. I hope they continue to do crossovers. But as of right now, because you can now catch eggs in the stream instead of fish, uh, it is kind of hampering your ability to play the base Animal Crossing game, which a lot of people are playing now for the first time uh, over the last couple weeks. So if you're just getting into Animal Crossing now, yeah, sure, the town's a little pretty. It's it's spring and there's sacrament trees, but there's also this crazy bunny thing going on. Uh, so there's that. Otherwise, continue having a good time with the game. Uh, I am second banana in my town. My wife is the resident services go-to, so she chooses where the houses go and uh, the slopes and the bridges and kind of stuff like that. But on the flip side of that, uh, not that she is obligated to, but pays a lot of bells towards those things that I don't have to. So I really don't mind. Uh, I was able to move my house to a cool spot on a cliff uh, for 30,000 bells, I only have the additional room right now, uh, so I'm about to pay that off and hopefully get another room or an upstairs or whatever comes next. Not slowing down on the game at all. It's it's Animal Crossing. It's what I expected. I, I mean, at some point, there is a burnout on Animal Crossing. Does the crafting thing and the, their ability to update this game with new things, does that mean maybe I will play this longer, I'll have a reason to come back to it, whereas something like New Leaf, even if you played it religiously for a year, eventually you just fall off that game with so many other games coming out. So, speaking of other games coming out, Resident Evil 3 will be, uh, the remake will be out on PS4 and Xbox One tomorrow, April 3rd. Looking pretty good, looking a lot like RE2. Uh, Reviewing not as well, uh, maybe diminishing returns on that. Becomes very apparent to me, we're like, what are they going to do? Just RE4 like this? I think they'll do RE4 in a first-person view. We already have RE4 on every console ever devised in the way it currently exists. Instead of just doing a graphical upgrade, which they could absolutely do as well, I would put that game in first-person. I would change it fundamentally. All right. What else did I do this week? We have a little bit of news to get to, but uh, something else came out on March 31st, aside from Persona 5 Royal, also uh, Sega-related, and that is Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie, is out digitally. They rushed it out digitally, and you can buy, you can own Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie, 2020, starring Ben Schwartz, James Marsden, and Jim Carrey. And I'm going to tell you all about that. But first, I'm going to throw it to Reed. Uh, and like I said, he has a, 
a little bit of gloating to do about completing his Final Fantasy VII playthrough. And he's going to let you in on uh, what he has uh, recognized so far as the differences in Persona 5 Royal compared to the original game. If you haven't played uh, the original Persona 5, uh, do so. It's a fantastic uh, meld of dating sim, JRPG, dungeon crawler. Uh, it's it's very good. It skims the top of all of those things, gets just deep enough in each of them uh, to feel rewarding. I highly recommend that game, and Reed's going to highly recommend you play Royal as well. Let's throw it to him now. guys it's Reed here for another segment of the public alpha podcast <clears throat> sorry glad we went with that by the way thank you lee um so yeah, giving you another update of what i'm playing and uh some of the new stuff so after doom eternal wrapped up because i beat that uh since the last time i played it um so just some quick more points there's not much else to talk about with doom eternal because i covered most of it in my last um my last segment of this um but ending was great game's fucking awesome um yeah that's pretty much all I left i have to say about that to be honest because my first part really tied all that up in a neat bow um so besides that i finished up final fantasy 7 on the ps4 um and i did everything so i beat emerald and ruby weapon i got up to level 99 i got the gold chocobo uh the two different sets of the master materia got fucking four sets of the four times cut, like, just with that three times speed, and you go to the magic jars in the northern crater, you can just, uh, you can master materia in matters of minutes, it's, it's crazy, uh, really big fan of that, um, forgot how much fun customizing your characters at the end of the game is when you have all this awesome materia at your disposal, you can do some really cool shit, so, uh, my main party for the most of the game was Cloud, Vincent, and Tifa, um, Vincent, who was always my primarily my magic user. In the middle and beginning of the game, he was just like kind of whatever. It was mostly Cloud and Tifa doing work, especially Cloud with the bodyguard build. But um, Vincent at the end, when he had counter with Knights of the Round, and then he had double Knights of the Round summoning with um, W summon, because he can't quad summon Knights of the Round, he was doing stupid damage to everything. It was ridiculous. Anyway, uh, so yeah... Final Fantasy VII's great, beat it, uh, I killed Sephiroth in two hits, so first a four times cut with Cloud, and then Vincent hit him with a Knights of the Round and he was dead, so that was fun, <laughs> beat that really quick, the ending, uh, which I've only seen, man, I've only beat Final Fantasy VII a couple times, I think, so the ending was great to see again, um, so yeah, Final Fantasy sounds great, and I moved right on to another JRPG. Um, if anybody knows me, they'll know I'm a huge Persona fan, so I got Persona 5 Royal. Um, the original Persona 5, I beat the first week it came out. I took a week off work to play it, and I went fucking hard. It was great. I absolutely loved that game. Um, so much so, I have a tattoo of it. <laughs> um, I... Big fan of Persona 3 and 4. I've been 4 once, um, and I'm right at the end segment of 3, but uh, 3 hasn't aged particularly well in the PlayStation 2. I should have played it on the PSP, probably, um, but that's for another day. And But I'm like I'm in the last month of that game. Anyway, Persona 5 Royal. Uh, so I'm going to be talking about the game on the assumption that you pretty much know what Persona 5 regular is and how that game operates and stuff. Otherwise, this would, would take way too long. 
Um, so Persona 5 Royal is much like Persona 4 Golden for Persona 4, so it's, uh, it's a re-release with updated features. It's like a DLC that instead of just this whole other side thing you just go off and do at some point, it's like they cut it up into little pieces and sprinkled it out throughout the original game. So you have to replay it from the beginning to get everything, right? Well, it's a whole separate game release, it's not a DLC, that was just the comparison I was using. Um, so they just update a lot of the game mechanics. They added a lot of story. They added a lot of uh, extra content for the confidants. They uh, gave an extra dungeon, two different extra confidant links. Um, they uh, and with that, two different arcanas for personas. So that's pretty neat, like the counselor persona um, arcana, I should say. Sorry. Uh, so that's great. Just a lot of extra content. So. Um, I would absolutely, like, right away, I would say, if you've only played Persona 5 original once, this is the perfect excuse to do a second playthrough. If you haven't played Persona 5 yet, I would say just play Royal. There's no point in going back, because I do think this game's superior for many ways, which I'll get into shortly. Um, so yeah, all the extra content so far that I've experienced is great. I'm about 25 hours in, roughly. Uh, been sprinkled in between some other games right now. Um, so right away, the biggest change is obviously the expanded story. It's not so much present, like you get a little bit in the beginning, but it's, you can tell this is going to be more of a predominant thing way down the road, probably somewhere around the middle of the game, I'm assuming. Um, it's basically takes in the form of this new girl that's going to be part of your group. I'm assuming anyway, uh, named Kasumi, I believe, um, so she's much like uh, the the new girl from Persona 4 Golden that the name escapes me right now, but she's also with Elizabeth and stuff. Uh, so that's pretty neat. You also um, get a new social link, confidant, sorry, uh, early on for counselor, who is a student counselor after the first palace that you take down. So that's pretty sweet as well. Um, so besides the extra story stuff, and I guess I can't get too much into it since I haven't experienced much of any of it, and I don't want to spoil anything either, really. Um, so the big other things is during combat. So they put a huge emphasis this time around in combat that they want it to, to flow very well, and they want it to always feel like you're working together with your teammates to take down an enemy as opposed to just individual actions and the power being too much in one person's hand. So... There's a lot of things to get into here, but the biggest thing right away is that almost instantly as you start the game, you get the Baton Pass feature. Now, in the original Persona 5, you had to unlock this later through a Confidant, I believe. And all it does is, if I hit a weak point on an enemy, I can give up my turn to a different person's, but it won't cost an action. Meaning that they can go, and then go again potentially after. And it didn't really have any other effect in that in the original game besides that. Now, in Persona 5 Royal, they greatly changed that. So, like I said, they gave it to you almost almost instantly for free, not through a confidant, as soon as you start the game. Um, the big difference here now is, is that if you baton pass your turn to another person after hitting a weak point, that person's turn that just got the baton pass will now have increased power and healing power. So they can hit harder or heal harder. Now, if they also get a fresh weak hit on an enemy that you did not hit before, they can also baton pass, and so on and so forth. And if you manage to baton pass it to every one of your teammates, 
The last person will do, I believe, double damage, and none of their actions will cost any HP or SP, uh, like their moves. So that's that's a huge change right there. That greatly emphasizes using everybody on your team, so you're so you can get that extra damage boost along with those nice resources at the end. Um, everybody uses different elementals and has different strengths and weaknesses, so you will need to use everybody there too. So I love that change right away because it feels like you're you're being a lot more strategic in how you take down enemies as opposed to just attacking them before. Now if you have a tough group of enemies on a harder difficulty, you'll really have to consider their weaknesses, who's on your party, how you can switch them in the right order so you can get off the best possible combination to move that you can. Along with that, they've also added this thing called um, technical moves. So this these are only moves that you can get off, like using an elemental attack after an enemy's been like put to sleep or dazed or stunned, any kind of uh, crowd control ability that stuns them. Then you hit them with an elemental move after, and it'll do extra damage. This is also a great decision, because if... Um, back in original Persona 5, and this is the same for Persona 4 and 3, um, when you're just fighting random enemies like that you've... not bosses, there's no point in really using CC on them, because you're just going to kill them quick anyway. All those resources, your SP, your HP, are better put put better put towards damaging moves as opposed to crowd control moves. So this way, with the technical stuff, it gives you more incentive to use those crowd control moves, which is really nice. I love when games do that, and they try to make you use everything at your disposal as opposed to just the good stuff. Uh, so I really like that. Uh, then the other big change is the guns to the game. So if you're also familiar with the original game, which I sure hope you are, you can only use... You only have a certain amount of ammo for your guns in any dungeon that you're in. The only time you can refill that ammo is if you leave the dungeon and come back. Uh, guns do about as much damage as a basic attack, except you can do multiple of them in one turn. So the big change in Royal now is that you don't need to leave and come back to refill your ammo. It just refills after every single battle. So this is either, like, I've seen some very decisive, divisive opinions about this online, because it does greatly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not diminishes, but it, uh, it simplifies a lot of early game battles to just, everybody's going to shoot their gun, and no one's going to have to use SP or HP, and boom, all these guys are dead. And I, I totally see that complaint. It can really uh, simplify a lot of things when it doesn't need to. However, I'm going into the second dungeon now, or the second palace, I should say. And one of the things I notice is that still skills like your wind attacks, your fire attacks, Bufu and uh, Augie and stuff like that, those still do way more damage than any gun, no matter what. And you're still way better off going for elemental weaknesses, which most enemies are weak to, as opposed to just shooting with your gun. Um, so I think it was, I think it's a great change, because you're still going to be going for those weaknesses with your SP moves, um, but the gun is there for when you want to use it, and you're actually going to use it this time. In the original Persona, you... You just never used it. You would use it once in a blue moon for the enemy that's weak to gunshot, but besides that, you'd never use it, because if you ran out, then you're shit out of luck. Um, so yeah, I was a big fan of that change. Um, great, so that's... The, uh, as opposed also for that, they expanded the dungeons in general, so now there's more areas to explore. There's extra treasure in the form of these things called seeds, 
If you collect all the seeds, you'll get extra SP regeneration, and then you can also get a cool accessory if you collect all of them. Um, you can grapple hook around dungeons now using the L1 button uh, at various points to bring you to new treasure locations. They seem to adjust the dungeon small minor ways, just like being able to get across anno previously annoying areas with a grapple hook, which is really nice. Um, so yeah, that's really cool. The, the dungeons are even a bit better now, which is really nice. Um, so besides that, they also expanded the confidants. So now, uh, I feel like you're getting a lot more points towards your social stats and confidants in general, and we'll get into that after this. But now after every confidant, um, ranking up conversation or hangout that you do, they'll also call you after, and you can get even more points. So it's theoretically possible that you can, uh, max social link much more confidence in your first playthrough as opposed to the original because you have those extra points coming in. So I'm a big fan of that because I like to maximize and uh, I like to maximize as many confidence I can. In the original Persona 5, I think I got all the females, Ryuji, uh, Misho, I think his name is, Misho, the, the guy that runs the website, and like one more, and I was still missing out on like 3 or 4, which was kind of a bummer because I thought I've... I played very optimally. Uh, so I'm a big fan of this. I like it's not a competitive game. You're not com like so. Why not beef something up that you think could help out some players? Because let's face it, I would say 95% of players don't aren't looking up guides on this game to to maximize their their time and stuff like this. So throwing a little extra points around for confidence is a great help, and it goes a long way to really help players experience of the, all these neat little stories that are in the game for all these characters. So yeah, along with that, like I said earlier, you also get more social stats points, like for your kindness, for your uh, charm, intelligence, etc. Also a big fan of this because grinding that out in the original game, just like f 3 and 4 is a pain in the ass. It feels like you're just going days on end to max it out just so you can hang out with someone once. I like how they're giving up more naturally this time, so you're just constantly getting books... You have a lot more options at the cafe now. You can clean to raise your kindness. You can train to raise your HP up, which is pretty neat. Um, you can do quizzes to get extra knowledge at no cost, because it doesn't cost time to do. Uh, just extra cool shit like that that really goes a long way. You can read books on the train and stuff. It's it's really neat. Um, so, absolutely, Persona 5 Royal gets out. Obviously, two thumbs up for me being a huge uh, Persona fan. Um... If you already play Persona 5 and you're wanting to play a second playthrough, I would absolutely recommend this, unless you're not really fiending for it, because I wouldn't say pay $80 for it. $80 Canadian, anyway. I'd say you could probably wait that out. Um, but if you're a big fan like me, you don't mind paying that much, like I don't, then you're going to have an absolute fucking blast with it, just like I did. So yeah, that was um, Persona 5 Royal. I'm still playing it, still looking forward to getting to the end and some of the cooler parts later down the road, because I've only beat it once. And besides that, I've actually been playing Call of Duty Warzone with my friends. Oh, sorry. So this is really like my first Battle Royale game. I think I played like two games of Fortnite, it just wasn't my thing. But I really taken to Warzone. I've been a Call of Duty player for a long time. Um... And I've always just played with my friends from where I grew up, and it's been fine. Um, and ever since, like, Black Ops 2, like, I'll get to, like, level 20, they'll just give up on it forever, and I'll never play God, uh, God till the next one comes out. 
they got me in a vicious circle. But I really take into Warzone a lot. It's a lot of fun. It's very tactical. There's high stakes. It feels like um, like you're really collaborating with people and you have to actually do something. Like when I'm just playing Teen Dance Labs with my friends, we're just shooting the shit while we're playing. It's nothing serious. But with this, it feels like we actually, like, we're working together. We're trying to pool our resources. It's really neat. I'm a big fan of it, actually. So, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with that. But uh, that's all that's really going on in my isolation right now. Just really hoping this shit ends soon. I can go back to uh, the office and mainly can get back to talking about New Vegas. But, uh, yeah, that's it for me. Have a good one, guys. Thanks again, Reed. Let's talk about Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie, which was good. I got I got things to say about this movie. It was a weird movie, man. So, Sonic the Hedgehog, if you weren't following it, they released this trailer. Sonic looked like a goddamn nightmare. Regardless of the content of the movie or what direction it was going to head in, they had this CGI Sonic that looked like a friggin' nightmare. Uh, the backlash to it was such that they took it back to the drawing board. They apparently got the, the designer from the Sonic Mania game to come in and be like, Hey, uh, have you considered making it look like Sonic the Hedgehog? At which point they re-released that trailer to huge accolades. Holy shit, they fixed Sonic's face. Here we go. Now, the movie, uh, which people were gloating, will still suck regardless of what Sonic looks like. I, uh, I greatly, I, I very much disagree with that. Uh, because what they've done in this movie is, like every video game movie, they had to rewrite the origin story of the video game. What is existing is no good for whatever reason, I don't know, something like Max Payne. Like, when I saw the Max Payne movie uh, with Blockbuster, it was free. They let us go to the theater and screen Max Payne. Mark Wahlberg in this bitch. Uh, big fan of the game. It's a it's a crime noir. The story is there. Like, the script is just in the game. All you're doing is, as far as I'm concerned, shooting a action movie using the exact stri- script from the game. It's already there. It's already good. You're just making it live action. No. We're going to uh, change the visuals. We're going to fundamentally change the origin and some of the things that are happening. Because we have to. Because we're Hollywood and we know better. Is what I always like to uh, to feel is the case. Now, there are examples of bad video game movies that I like in spite of themselves. Such as the Super Mario Brothers movies from the 80s, early 90s. Um, that's just good fun. You look at what they had as subject matter for Mario at that point. You look at the entire Mario Bible as it existed at that point in time. And they just went for it. They they went nuts. Like, Goombas, maybe they're like de-evolved, middle-evolved uh, dinosaurs. I don't, I don't know. I don't, they took certain... They put it in a, a bingo hopper, goddammit, and they made a weird-ass thing. And that's kind of the Sonic movie. Um, except the Sonic movie is much more watchable and short. Uh, almost to its own fault. This movie feels, uh, plot-wise, as if it is a fully animated movie. If you watch, like, a, a DreamWorks hour-and-a-half-long feature, the way they treat characters and drop them in and out of this movie and how they just get to res- revolu- resolutions in this movie feels very much uh, like, like a cartoon straight up. And it's Sonic. He, he is a cartoon for all intents and purposes. So Ben Schwartz is, uh, is voicing the Sonic. We start with, uh... Sonic is living in a tree with a owl, and uh, the echidnas are attacking. Uh, they want Sonic. He's got power, and then he's got magic rings, which checks out. Sonic and rings checks out, and the rings allow you to teleport to the place of your choosing. Sonic is able to travel interdimensionally this way, 
And uh, in escaping from these echidnas, he finds himself in Green Hills, Montana. And th- and that's the joke. And then some of the street signs also are, are Sonic Zones. There's a lot of sound effects in this that are lifted straight from Sonic. Yeah, that, that's a... You're, it's a video game movie. You should you should do that. You should evoke the video game in subtle ways that that's where this movie succeeds. So Sonic is the only friend of Sonic in this uh, in this movie. If you've been playing the games, usually the least the the less amount of friends Sonic has, the better the game is going to be. Something like Sonic Mania, you boil it down to just him, tails, and knuckles. And weird. That, it's just running fast and jumping with very few friends, and that game's good. In this movie, Sonic, who is an adolescent, a teen, I, I don't know how Sonic ages compared to the rest of us, being a alien, powerful, magic hedgehog. Uh, I should mention that in the comic books, uh, which are different than the, the video game Bible of Sonic, but I think are kind of accepted as canon now, uh, Mobius, the planet in which Sonic inhabits, that you know from the Sonic video games, uh, is just Earth. But in the future, uh, animals have evolved. They're walking around wearing shoes, running fast, all kinds of mutations. Tails with his two tails, for example, being able to fly. Robotnik going around roboticizing uh, animals to be robot slaves, etc. This movie has none of that. We just have Sonic kind of escaping his wooded home with his owl being attacked by the echidnas. Presumably that is your Sonic world, or maybe the future, or who cares? Don't think about it. Turn your brain off. And uh, Sonic, he, he's obnoxious. He's g- basically grown up now from the, the tender age of baby Sonic, whatever that is, to whatever he is in this movie. Um, watching uh, movies, he is creepily looking through people's windows in this town, watching movies with them, not knowing he's there. He's, uh, he's big into pop culture. He's spouting off memes. He's doing the floss dance. He's like a shitty teen. Only there's an understated sadness to him uh, that I think really works in this movie and makes his obnoxiousness, which is my least favorite uh, thing in a cartoon character. I can't watch Animaniacs, for example, but he's like a shitty guy and you wouldn't want to be around him at a party, but that's the joke. He's he's a party of one. He's by himself. He's playing all the positions on the baseball diamond. He's taking the Bugs Bunny gimmick uh, and doing all that. And at the end of it, he's he's just a sad guy. He's lonely. He cannot... Uh, have friends because he's going to have to leave eventually when someone comes for him, as is his his life. Uh, and then, sure enough, uh, while screwing around on a baseball diamond, he gets all angsty. Uh, he causes a, a widespread blackout. The U.S. government's on it, and uh, just uh, the way it's explained in the movie, we're going to call him. He's nuts, yeah, but he gets results, and this looks like we're dealing with a, a fucking alien. So uh, we're going to call in Doctor Robotnik, who is Jim Carrey. Ripped right from uh, the the golden age of Jim Carrey. Let's put it this way. He's really trying in this movie. And he's giving a performance that, if as a kid seeing Jim Carrey movies, you would appreciate or hold up alongside it. Because there's been 25 years of weirdness uh, between that Jim Carrey and this Jim Carrey. It's kind of like he's doing an homage to himself. I don't know. But it works. He's, he's goofy. He's rude. Uh, he... Definitely, like, makes a character here that is not Robotnik as we necessarily know him. Uh, but the the technology and the stuff around him, I really like what they did uh, with Jim Carrey here. Uh, the other main characters we have are James Marsden plays Tom the Donut Lord, who is the local sheriff. 
Uh, he's the man. He, he's the best. He's the best damn cop in town. But he's got, you know, he's got his eyes set on San Francisco, where he can be a small fish in a giant pond instead of the man in this small town. He's got a wife, and every time she's on screen, it's weird. I don't know if there's like a lot of cut content from this movie, uh, but I believe the actress's name is Tika Sumter. I think plays Maddie, who is his wife. And she's got a sister that hates the shit out of Tom because your wife's sister hates you. That's the only reason I found in this movie. So there's a lot of real simple, quick script things. When Robotnik is introduced, Neil Mc... Uh, da- da- is it down? Neil McDonough? Neil McDonnell? <laughs> you would know this guy if you saw him. Anyways, he plays Major Bennington. He's in the movie for 30 seconds before Robotnik throws him out. Uh, and that's kind of your uh, your main characters here. You have uh, Agent Stone, who is Robotnik's like, right-hand man and just gets beat up all the time. The Robotnik can shit on. Uh, and then you have uh, Adam Pally, I believe is how you pronounce his name, playing Wade, who is a hapless cop, um, kind of holding things down in Green Hill Zone, as James Marston is marked a terrorist and is on the run with Sonic the Hedgehog. And we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, so this is going to kind of turn into a real quick impromptu uh, review of what this movie is. But if you've seen a trailer, I think you can kind of figure this out. Basically, uh, Sonic gets shot with a tranquilizer gun as he is discovered by James Marston in his garage. Drops his bag of rings. Uh, a ring opens up a gate to San Francisco as Sonic saw that on James Marston's shirt before he passed out. The bag of rings falls through the portal to a very tall building in San Francisco before closing. Sonic no longer has his rings. He cannot escape the fate that is waiting him. Uh, And sure enough, Jim Carrey, Dr. Robotnik, very effective. Uh, He's like crazy and a dick. He's got all this insane technology. But to Robotnik's credit, credit, uh, he seems very capable for the most part at figuring things out, which Robotnik should be. Robotnik is constantly... Uh, at odds with Sonic trying foiling one another. So, uh, what basically happens here is we have a road trip movie, whereas Sonic doesn't know where San Francisco is and couldn't possibly be taught how to read a map or a GPS. So, James Marston's going to have to drive his ass to San Francisco from Montana. <clears throat> and hijinks ensue. They do the uh, Quicksilver uh, gimmick from the X-Men movies where kind of time stops and only Sonic's moving around to a music video thing. There's a lot of moments in this movie where, like, oh, they, this is not an original idea, but they put it in this movie, and it makes it entertaining. And that seems to be the only thing they're going for in this movie. Uh, as a longtime Sonic fan, of course, I could be I could be biased, but honestly, the performance by Ben Schwartz, all the things I mentioned earlier where, like, the obnoxiousness of Sonic is just loneliness, uh, I thought was actually done really well in this movie, and I really like Jim Carrey. James Marston's there, uh, and his wife, even more so in this movie, is just there. Um, yeah, so I, I won't necessarily spoil the ending here, but the movie wraps up and you're like, oh, I guess, I guess that is an hour and a half, eh? Really leaves itself open for a sequel immediately, which you could absolutely see them doing. Like I said, the sound effects, uh, the, the visuals, Robotnik's robots and stuff like that all look pretty great. Uh, and they left themselves open to, to do a lot more of that with a sequel in terms of visuals, sound effects, uh, evoking Sonic the Hedgehog while still kind of carving their own Sonic the Hedgehog out, which they have to do because Hollywood knows better. Uh, but you could watch a lot worse movies than Sonic the Hedgehog, especially 
uh, video game movies. And I'm looking at this thing on, on, on Metacritic right now. It's sitting at a fucking 47, which is insane to me. And if you excuse me just a second, I'm going to look up Detective Pikachu, which is an awful movie. Uh, I don't think I've actually properly reviewed Detective Pikachu on a podcast. Sitting at a 53. Okay. If it was any if it was any more than a 60, I was going to raise a stink about it. But, but Detective Pikachu is not good from a plot point of view. It is it is too complicated. Sonic was like, we're going to set this thing on Earth that you are familiar with. Sonic will be the thing out of place and go from there. So, uh, like the Sonic movie. No, no big surprise there. Thought it was was pretty all right. Bought that thing digitally. Didn't even download it on freemium as I, I want to do. I I paid full price for that thing. It has a blooper reel, and I'm like, there's nothing lamer in a family movie than having a blooper reel uh, where it's a CGI character and something's happening to the CGI character and that's the joke. And little kids may laugh at it. Oh, Sonic fell down or his, his shoelaces were tied together. I'm like, well, that's lame. I'm gonna click it anyway. And Sonic doesn't appear one time in this blooper reel, which I thought was so fucking weird. And what it ends up being is James Marston and Jim Carrey ad-libbing off of each other, which is just fucking... Everything about this movie is fucking bizarre. I didn't even talk about the the Olive Garden <laughs> tie-in in this movie multiple times. Uh, so, if you watch Netflix movies and shows... This kind of stuff is apparent to you now, but when I see it in a full-fledged motion picture, it's so fucking weird to me still. Uh, there are two very awkward uh, immersion-breaking mentions of the Olive Garden here. So be it. The second one at least is a funny joke, where the U.S. government, uh, to hey, you know, this crazy sci- uh, scientist shot up your house, James Marston, uh, and you've had to deal with all this shit to do with this alien thing. So Uncle Sam would just like to slip you a little something, you know? He's like, oh, he's going to pay for the house or, like, going to pay for the damages or a new car? What is this? And it's a $50 gift card to Olive Garden. And that's a funny joke on top of being a brand tie-in. So you got me, you son of a bitch. Uh, very weird. And then a post-credit sequence, uh, of course, the first of which uh, Robotnik, spoilers, uh, gets banished to the world of mushrooms that Sonic was dreading going to. And I swore I saw a trailer at some point where Sonic and Robotnik were fighting in said world. It doesn't happen in this movie. Robotnik just ends up there on his own, uh, stranded in another uh, alternate universe, essentially, uh, looking a little more like Robotnik as he has now shaved his head and his mustache has gone all f- f- um, But there we are. That's And then uh, another another sequence afterwards shows uh, you know, Tails the Fox, the two ta- Tails, Miles, Tails, Prower. Uh, with his, like, Dragon Ball Scouter thing. His, like, the thing Bulma has to find the Dragon Balls. He's located Sonic. He can fly. And uh, let's just go right to the sequel. And uh, hopefully there won't be some kind of weird pandemic going on at the time. So we can, it can truly live up to its potential and outsell Detective Pikachu in China. Because Detective Pikachu is a bad movie. Detective Pikachu is entirely built on the visuals. The weirdness of seeing actual Pokemon in a, in a live-action movie is fine. Uh, everything to do with the plot of that movie is just overstuffed, man. We got, was it, Bill Nye turns into Mewtwo at some point? That fuck, fuck that movie's bad. Alright. Some quick news and we're going to send you home. Control, uh, which we love here on the podcast, and I refuse to finish for some reason, uh, saw its first DLC released, getting a lot of accolades there. More of the same. 
but they have a lot of DLC planned for that game, including a tie-in with Alan Wake at some point, I believe. So that's kind of interesting to me. And I should go back and fucking finish that game. Uh, so we always like to to mention when, uh, you know, one uh, Randy Pitchford's being a dirtbag. Uh, so I'm just going to kind of echo Jason Schreier's uh, words here. Despite huge sales, Borderlands 3 developers are getting stiffed on bonuses. The video game Borderlands 3 was a big sales success when it launched last fall, according to its publisher, 2K, which described it as a billion-dollar global brand. Uh, that's why it's shocking to employees at Gearbox, the developer of the game, when the studio CEO, Randy Pitchford, told them yesterday that they would not receive the significant royalty bonuses they expected. Employees at the studio will get small bonus checks, but nothing close to the tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands that many had expected. This account is based on uh, conversations with six people close to Gearbox, all speaking anonymously because they are not authorized to talk about what happened, obviously. Uh, and it goes on from there. You can find this on Kotaku, but... Borderlands 3 and its employees and Gearbox have been uh, been quite the topic uh, for, for the past year since this game is released. And, you know, it's a fun game, and I'm never going to hold, uh, the, what was it, that Kingdom Come Deliverance game? Like, the guy who was the director of that game, apparently, I'm going to say director, I don't actually know his position, was apparently kind of a jackass Um in terms of his views on women and stuff like that. And then, you know, you attract the audience that echoes that sentiment when you make yourself public in such a way. When it comes to Borderlands, it's hard at a certain point uh, for for a happy-go-lucky gamer to be like, yeah, Borderlands, all into it, cosplaying it, love it, love the brand. Uh, and then you hear stories and pawn stories like this, and they have no idea of how uh, mismanaged Gearbox is and, and the fucking trash they have at the top of that company. I feel so bad for those developers of that game because they love Borderlands. They want to make the best Borderlands possible. They've been pr- promised checks and stuff like that, but it's not about that. It's about making the game they would want to play, their passion, and then the mouthpiece of the company, Any anything that they have to put out there in the world is filtered through this coffee filter of just complete... Uh, idi- idiocy. I feel so bu- bad for them uh, regularly. So, uh, thinking of you, Gearbox, in these trying times. Uh, speaking of, nope, no segue there. The Last of Us Two is delayed indefinitely. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Uh, not for tonal reasons necessarily, according to the uh, press release, uh, but more that hey, th- this team has not been able to work on this game, polish it up in the last three months properly. Uh, and if this is a project they've been working on for how many years, Naughty Dog, they don't want to uh, to, to put it out there because they can. Uh, but the delayed indefinitely part is is kind of a bummer, especially when this game has already been repeatedly delayed this year even. Uh, Iron Man VR also bit the dust with this uh, this delay. So, <laughs> shit, man. It's a, it's a bad scene. Uh, this is by far not going to be the last release. Obviously, we saw uh, a lot of games get out there. Uh, Animal Crossing... Uh, Final Fantasy VII will be out next Friday. Rain or shine. Uh, Resident Evil 3 out tomorrow. A lot of other games uh, either being pushed back slightly, trying to get around uh, when stores can reopen and sell physical copies. Believe it or not, physical copies still sell. And if you are working on a project for a certain amount, uh, or you're expecting a certain amount of sales, and you're cutting out a a significant portion of your physical sales, uh, yeah, you can just release it digitally, but... Uh, you you need to make a certain bottom line back, and physical games are part of that. That's the kind of conundrum with Final Fantasy VII right now, is they decided to march ahead with it on the 10th, which is a holiday in a lot of provinces up here in Canada, uh, but not they don't have enough physical copies. They just don't. Uh, I can tell you that. As a matter of fact, 
Uh, there's going to be quite a few uh, deluxes out there. If you pre-ordered, I'm sure you might get that quicker than a regular, which seems to be allocated down to like 30%. It's it's bad. Uh, what's going to happen with that game, especially because Square has to be banking on that game to make a lot of money to make it worth it to continue doing this fucking cursed Final Fantasy VII Remake project. Uh, so I went and uh, pre-ordered that game. Hope to be playing it next next weekend. And then I might have some time off work the week after that where I can finish it up. Lots of video games to play. There's always Animal Crossing. Uh, please stay safe out there. Take care of yourself. Here in Winnipeg, we have 20 centimeters of snow being dumped on us right now. Like we needed that on top of everything. Uh, hey, it's a good reason to stay home. But uh, it's also nice to be able to jump out to the uh, grocery store without the roads being fucking treacherous. Uh, so be careful out there, everybody. I'll be back again this weekend to discuss the season premiere of Total Divas. Uh, sorry, Total Bellas. I wish it was Total Divas. A little more variety that way. Total Bellas Season 5. Bella's pregnant. That'll be this Sunday. Maybe with my wife. Maybe not. We will see. Thank you as always for listening and supporting the show. Thank you to Reed for submitting his part. We'll be back again next week to talk about some video games, what we've been playing. Uh, Yeah. Thanks for signing up. We'll talk to you then.